Welcome, listeners, to The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon, the podcast that highlights cozy and traditional mysteries. You won't find stories filled with explicit sex or graphic violence. You will find interviews with authors who create crime fiction filled with intriguing plots, engaging characters, and high-quality writing. Thanks for listening. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. I'm Alexia Gordon, author and host of the podcast. Author Melissa Bourbon joins me in the corner today to chat about Murder in Devil's Cove, a book magic mystery. Welcome, Melissa. Hi, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. Now, Murder in Devil's Cove is the first book magic mystery. So would you tell us a little about the Lane family and what they're up to in this this, uh, book? Yeah, I would love to. Okay, so uh, the Book Magic Mystery Series came about uh, when a friend of mine and I were taking a walk and talking about this concept of a bibliomancer. Uh, Bibliomancy is an ancient divination where you use a book, put it on its spine, typically um, a religious book. Um, Stitchomancy would be the version where you use any kind of book, but we'll kind of have taken a little liberty with that. Uh, Anyway, you put the book on its spine, let it fall open, and it communicates something with you through a passage that you pinpoint, and there's a variety of ways to practice this. So we thought, wouldn't that make an incredibly cool mystery series? And so that's how it came about, and we created the Lane family, and there's this entire um, arc, this story that goes back to the very first century, and um, there's a pact made with a Irish sea god basically that gets revealed you know in in bits and pieces throughout the story and the two main characters are Cora Lane and Pippin Lane who are cousins and so Cora lives on the west coast in Oregon and Pippin lives in North Carolina which is where I live and so Wendy Wendy Lynn Watson the other author is writing Cora stories and I'm writing Pippin stories and they intertwine with this bigger story arc, but every book stands alone within the context of, of the character. So all of Pippin's books would stand alone. All of Cora's books would stand alone, but they also intertwine in this bigger story. And both Cora and Pippin are bibliomancers. But the question is kind of, is, is that a good thing? Is that a blessing or is that a curse? Because there's, um, there's a lot of, weight that comes with that within the context of the family and what happened in the first century. So all of the Lane women die in childbirth if they have gotten themselves pregnant and all of the men are swallowed up by the sea. So they have this um, curse that they're trying desperately to break essentially. Uh, it's it's uh, somewhat uh, unique that you're writing a series with another author and you're uh, each writing the story from a particular character's point of view, but the, the two intertwine. What's, what's that like? Uh, Wendy and I have known each other for a long, long time, and our writing styles are pretty similar. She writes cozy mysteries as well. And um, so in that respect, the books fit together really nicely. And in terms of writing our individual books, we don't really have anything to do with one another's. My books are my books, her books are her books. But we do have this plot that is this, um, has an overarching 
complexity to it. And so we got together and we brainstormed everything. We came up with this whole entire family and all of the backstory that went with that. And so we have some shared Google Docs where we have all of this information stored and we can rely on that. And then we have just a little bit of information that, for example, from my book will play into her book and from her book will play into my book. But it's minimal and not really uh, impactful in the greater element of the story, if that makes sense. So it's been a really great process super fun to work on because we get to we've, we've created this whole entire family you know of generations going back to Ireland and do you foresee uh, Pippa and Cora ever uh, meeting in the in the pages of the same book yes so the plan is in the last book in the series uh well I shouldn't say that I just in the last book of this series which tells this large story arc there could be future books in each of our different series, continuing Pippin's story, continuing Cora's story. But in the last book that that um, wraps up this big arc that we have, which is supposed to be book seven, they do get together and tackle basically head on the curse that they've been trying to break. And then you, you mentioned that the idea f uh, for bibliomancy sort of inspired the uh, idea for the series. Uh, bibliomancy is not something that's that's well known about. So how did your interest in that particular psychic ability come about? Well, actually, Wendy went to some sort of a, a workshop where they spoke about different divinations. And this one just really sparked her interest. And we were neighbors. So I now live in North Carolina. She's in North Texas. I used to live in North Texas. And we met each other through a writing group and we lived one block apart. So we would get together. We were in a critique group for a while when we were first starting out and then we would take walks. So she was telling me about this workshop that she had gone to and the different divinations and how bibliomancy was just like this light bulb going off over her head. And I was just like you, I'm like, what's bibliomancy? I don't even know what that is. And so we talked about that. And from there, the idea just grew because it, it just seemed so fun as a way to create a unique series and characters with a very unique gift that can help inform them as they solve the murders that they come across, which does happen in each book. Um, and then the greater stories that you know, intertwine with one another and with that large story arc. And it, it sounds like you've also woven some some folklore into the, the story, particularly Irish folklore, maybe? Yeah, I don't know if I would call it folklore or more there. Um, you know, it's like the Greek gods. It's a, I guess in a way it's it's folklore. But anyway, it's like they're, um, yeah, they're, they're sort of ancient history and how they explained things way back when, you know, before it was really even Ireland. Uh, back in the first century, you know, there's been a lot of debate on whether the Romans actually landed in Ireland. And for many, many, many years, there, the belief is that no, they did not. But there is, there have been some discoveries recently, or well, fairly recently, that um, give a different view of that and say that yes, the Romans did land there, although they never conquered Ireland. And so we kind of jumped in with that idea that there's uh, an Irish woman and a Roman soldier that are at the, the head of this family that we now see in 2021, 2020. 
Um, so yeah, it does stem back to that sort of ancient history and, and the folklore, as you said, of, you know, the gods. And so what, what kind of inspired you to tie together uh, ancient uh, Roman Irish history with some uh, stories of the gods and, and bibliomancy? What, what sort of inspired you to put, to blend all of that in, in one story? Well, um, it just evolved really over the course of planning and creating the plot and a way for Cora and Pippin's stories to intertwine. And as we, as we tried to come up with a way for that to happen and for it to be kind of meaningful, we just kind of kept going back and back and back and back until finally we were at the, the inception of their family through these two ancestors 2000 years ago. Wendy loves Ireland and she recently took a trip there about two years ago. And so um, that, and then I am Irish by, you know, by my great, great grandmother. So a little bit of Irish in me. And so we both, you know, kind of were attracted to that idea and that's where it stemmed. And from there, you know, when you just, at least in my process, when I start writing and then as we kept talking, just little things would spark a new idea that just helped develop the whole concept that became bigger and bigger and bigger and uh, took us farther back, farther and farther, farther back. So it wasn't exactly um, an aha, like, oh, we should create this story and have Irish um, history in it that's gonna go back 2000 years. It was more organic in how it developed over time and over the course of writing the first book. So you've got uh, Irish history, Roman history, family history, divination, and you've also got a family curse is another important element in the story. the family curse sort of gives things a, a bit of a gothic flavor. So did, did gothic fiction influence your work at all? Or did it just sort of organically grow out of your, your discussions with Wendy, the family curse would be an important important theme? Yeah, so the the idea, you know, we, we struggled with or, you know, considered how is it that these two cousins in modern society have this gift of bibliomancy, which is, you know, sort of an unknown forgotten Thing doesn't happen, isn't practiced, isn't talked about a lot. And that is the thing that sparked us to go back, you know, and figure out how did this come about in this family. And once we realized that it needed to happen far, far, far back in their family history, uh, it, we thought of the idea of the curse kind of like the Roman gods and the Greek gods and how, you know, the gods kind of interacted with the humans and and curse them or bless them or, you know, in, just interacted with them very directly. And so that's where that came from, the idea that they were cursed directly by a, a god, a Gaelic god. Um, so yeah, not so much Gothic influence, but the idea kind of stemming from how the Greek gods interacted with humans. So sort of Greek, Greek, uh, well, Greco-Roman, since it's more Roman, but sort of Greco-Roman mythology inspired. Yes, exactly. That's the word I was looking for, mythology, instead of folklore. (laughs) That tells you where my brain is at. (laughs) Now, book three in the series, uh, Murder at Sea Captain's Inn, comes out in July. And you described book two, on um, Amazon is described as a mini mystery, The Secret 
on Rum Runner's Lane. So how does the mini mystery differ from the uh, longer forms of books one and three? Okay, um, well, and so let me just interject there. Book two in the bigger series or Cora's first book should be coming out end of June, uh, early July. I'm not sure if there's a release date yet. Uh, so that's Death at Cape Misery. And again, that's one that Wendy is writing. So again, we have, I have my book, she has her books, but they kind of intertwine. So in the course of the whole series, it would be um, Murder at Den Devil's Cove and then Death at Cape Misery and then Murder at Sea Captain's Inn and then we move forward from there. But as I finish Murder in Devil's Cove and the prologue talks a little bit um, about Cassie, Cassandra, who is Pippin's mother, Pippin, who is named after a J.R. Tolkien character, she and her brother Gray both are. And that comes from their father, Leo's love of Tolkien. And the prologue touches on that. It tells, uh, it gives a scene about Cassie when she, when Pippin is little. So Pippin is a child in that scene. And really that's all that we ever see of Cassie. You know, we get a little bit of her here and there in a, the form of memories or, you know, a necklace that belonged to her, things like that. But Cassie is gone. And so we don't get her story at all. And yet she's really pivotal. She's the reason that this side of the Lane family is in North Carolina because she grew up grew up with Cora's mother, Lacey, in Oregon and then left Oregon and came to North Carolina. So there was just this whole part of the family, this whole generation that I wanted to explore before I moved on to Murder at Sea Captain's Inn, which is the one that's coming out next month. And so it was just an opportunity to get a little bit deeper into the lore of the family and into the idea of, is this a curse or a blessing through Cassie's experiences? And I'm so glad that I wrote it because it was, it was very fun to delve into her life, to see her and Leo, their meet cute when they first met, Pippin's parents, and then to see a few of the characters that are in Murder in Devil's Cove 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when they were much younger and first meeting. So uh, the novellas are going, we're going to continue to do other novellas throughout the series, and they're just going to give us a glimpse into other characters or other time periods within the lore that we've created. So maybe I should call it book 1.5 instead I of book know. two. <laughs> yeah, they won't let us number them that way, sadly. <laughs> so it's confusing. We're going to have to figure that out. But for now, yeah. <laughs> now, would you recommend folks read that before reading the actual book two, or is that they could read that anytime they wanted. They could read that anytime they wanted. It's not contingent upon uh, upon that story at all. Yeah, it's a completely separate story. It just gives you a little bit deeper insight into Cassie and into the Lane family if you wanted to explore that. And so it's a fun novella that stands alone, that kind of enriches the series. So in addition to writing uh, cursed family sagas with a partner and novellas. You also write the Breadshot Mysteries as Winnie Archer. Um, so you are incredibly prolific and I admire you for that. Oh, thank you. It's, yeah, obviously um, <laughs> it keeps my brain busy and sometimes in a place where <laughs> it's not supposed to be in it and forgetting other things. Yeah, super busy. Um, I write as you said, the Breadshot Mysteries with Kensington as Winnie Archer. And Winnie was my grandmother's name. And Archer is a great 
grandmother's name on my mother's side. Uh, so that's where that pen name comes from. And it's about a, a um, novice bread maker named Ivy Culpepper who works with Olaya Solis who runs a artisan bread shop in a fictional town on uh, the coast of California it's called Yeast of Eden. So yeah, that's book uh, six just came out in April, book seven comes out in October. And then I have other series too, but you can, you can find out more on my website, melissaurban.com. <laughs> and, and the sixth bread shop mystery is called Death Gone Awry? Is that- uh, yes, Death Gone Awry was number six. Mm-hmm. And then the next one is a murder you'll regret, Y-U-L-E, like uh, a Yule log because it's a holiday themed one. <laughs> Love the punny cozy titles. <laughs> now, the bread shop mysteries, as you mentioned, are set on the coast of California and the book magic mysteries are set on the North Carolina coast. So what kind of challenges or do you find a challenge of writing one series set on the, the West Coast and one set on the East Coast, because they're, they're both coastal communities. So they have some similarities, yet California and North Carolina are very different places. That's such a great question. Nobody's ever asked me that before. Um, I also have a series that was set in the heart of Texas, West Texas, which is completely different. I was born and raised in California and my mom's family, um, well, they're Texans, but moved to California and lived on the coast in Laguna Beach for a long, long, long time. And so my childhood was spent on the beaches down there in Southern California. And then I was raised uh, from sixth grade on in Northern California. So my experiences and my history with California run very, very deep. And then my husband and I moved to Texas for about 10 years and from there to North Carolina. And we're about two and a half hours from the coast here. And you're right, it's so incredibly different. I love them both. I actually think I, I love the North Carolina coast a little bit more because the Atlantic is so much warmer and you can swim <laughs> much more easily. Um, but, but yeah, so it's different. And I, I, I get to visit both sides. My kids live in Los Angeles, you know, and we're over here. So I don't kind of get them mixed up or intermingle them too much because they are so distinct and the towns I've created are so distinct and different from one another. Um, and it's just been fun to explore, as you said, both sides of the country. I feel like when we're on the Outer Banks over here, it feels like you're on the end of the world. You know, there's just nothing but the Atlantic. And, you know, when you're in a coastal California town, it doesn't necessarily feel like that because you've got all this land behind you and, and sprawling cities around you. But in North Carolina, it's 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 not like that. So it's been interesting and very fun to explore both coasts. And did the, did the differences in the coast sort of lend a little bit of, of flavor to the, the books set there? Oh, definitely. Because North Carolina, it's Southeast. So, you know, there's a big Southern influence in the state itself. And, you know, the early settlers. So the book I'm working on right now, Murder at Sea Captain's Inn, it delves a little bit into the lost colony of Roanoke. And so that English settlers that came and um, the Dare Stones, which if you're not familiar with that, they're sort of these artifacts that supposedly prove that the colony survived um, when, but nobody really knows what happened to them. 
so there's a lot of that sort of flavor. And what I found is the accents really change depending on how deep you are on the Outer Banks, for example, some of the more remote islands, you've got people that have an accent that's still influenced by the Cockney accents and the English that came. So their, their Southern accent is a lot different than what I find, you know, three hours in from the coast in the Chapel Hill area. Um, but in general, the North Carolina books have that Southern influence and the coastal West, uh, West Coast California books don't have that at all. It's just much, well, yeah, the influence of that Southern element isn't there. So that's a, a great way to kind of distinguish the two different series. So the, the California books sort of have that California beach town feel and the North Carolina books have more of that sort of mysterious low country history kind of feel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's sort of a way for folks can get their mystery, plus they can do some armchair traveling while they read. Exactly, yeah. And uh, the California books, the Bread Shop series, also I have um, several, I have a diverse cast of characters and Elise, uh, Elias Elise, who runs East of Eden, she is from Mexico and she brings a lot of her culture and sort of the old world traditions of bread making there into her bread shop and California is very diverse in a different way than North Carolina is. So there's a lot of that diversity, which adds a lot of kind of flavor, but in, in my opinion, authenticity to the California books, because you, you know, you're getting a snapshot of what population there is like compared to over here in North Carolina, where you have a lot of diversity, but it's a different kind of diversity. You know, we've got people from Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic and Cuba and you know things like that over here and then the African-American population so that's reflected in my book magic series whereas in the bread shop series we have more of the Mexican culture and we've got more Asian culture reflected there in Korean and um, you know just a kind of a different variety which I personally love my husband is first generation Mexican-American and I really love bringing in cultural elements that, you know, I feel really add some depth to my books and to my characters. And so, I mean, I don't know how you find the time, but in between these two series, you said you're also working on some, some other series or some standalones? Yeah, so I have uh, two standalone, well, two, uh, romantic suspense, romantic mystery suspense books, Silent Echoes and Silent Obsession. And those are based on Mexican legends, the legends of La Llorona and Chupacabras, which is like a, a blood-sucking goat urban legend kind of thing. And the two books feature two different brothers. And so those are much more on the dark side. And then I have um, a finished series, also written as Melissa Bourbon and it's the Magical Dressmaking series. That's the one set in Texas where my mother's family is from. So I have Texan roots that way. And we lived there for several years, 10 years. Um, so it was fun to write a series there. And then I have the Lola Cruz mystery series. Lola is a PI and that's a California set series in the Sacramento Valley where we lived. My husband and I first lived when we were married. So, and then I'm working on developing another series that is set in Asheville here in North Carolina. 
So that would be more of a, a mountain flavor than a coastal yes. flavor. Yeah. Yeah. Which will be fun and different. My son starts college up there this fall. So I get to take trips to visit him and to do research. <laughs> and so where can, can readers buy a copy of the murder in devil's cove or, or one of your, your many other books so that with the warning to folks that listening, if you know anything about La Llorona, you can guess that that's not particularly cozy. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Those two are darker. Definitely. Um, so all of my books are, there's information about them and um, you know, blurbs and, and stuff to learn more about them on my website, which is melissabourbon.com. Even my Winnie Archer books are there at that on my website and everything's available on Amazon and, um, you know, most other bookstores, the murder and devil's cove, the book magic series right now is available in print anywhere and digitally, you know, eBooks only right now on Amazon. And then we'll be, you know, developing, spreading those out to other e-reading services a little bit later on. In any, any particular favorite bookstores you want to give a, a recommendation to? Oh, well, if you're in Hillsborough, North Carolina, Purple Crow. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I just encourage you to shop your local bookstores. We love indie bookstores and they are so important to everything that we do and to connecting with readers. So if you can shop indie, do shop indie, <laughs> definitely. And is your website also the best place for readers to connect with you and find out uh, what's what's going on with you, what you're up to next? And, you know, as things start opening up again, where they might actually be able to see you? Yes. Um, so I have lots of information on my website, also my Facebook page. So Melissa Bourbon slash Winnie Archer on Facebook. And then I have an online book club on Facebook that I run with a fellow cozy mystery writer, Diane Kelly, and that's called The Book Warriors. And we have lots of stuff going on over there too. So, and then I'm on Instagram as well. The only one place I'm really not on is Twitter. I'm not a huge fan of Twitter. <laughs> That's where I drew the line. <laughs> but um, yeah, you can reach me in a variety of ways and definitely through a contact form on my website or Facebook. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me in the corner today, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. I love talking about my books <laughs> and it's great connecting with you. And thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. My guest today was Melissa Bourbon, author of Murder and Devil's Cove, the first book magic mystery. I'm Alexia Gordon, your host. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star rating or review. Help me keep bringing you fun and informative chats with authors of cozy and traditional mysteries by supporting the podcast on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash authoralexiagordon. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you.